1: This is the Get Booked Podcast, a weekly show for personalized reading recommendations. This is episode 107, and we are recording on November 21st. I'm Jen Worthington, and I'm here with Amanda Nelson, and we are coming to you from Book Riot. Ew. Hello, how's it going? Turkey. Turkey.
0: (laughs) I am just phoning it in until (laughs) Thursday. (laughs) Thanksgiving is one of my favorite holidays because of the food and the eating and the sitting down. And I'm just so ready.
1: My body is ready. I wouldn't call it one of my favorite holidays, but pumpkin pie is my favorite pie. And there also is usually a chocolate pie uh, involved in my family Thanksgiving. So like I'm here for pie is basically (laughs) everything else can go away as long as there's pie. <laughs> I'm making a uh,
0: dark chocolate bourbon pecan pie that is what? amazing that I've made like three years in a row. It's so rich that you can really only eat about a quarter of a slice before you want to maybe die a little, but it's a good death.
1: You know? I'm gonna need that recipe for Okay. Now. Um, what are you reading? Um, I am about a hundred pages into Jade City by oh, Fonda Lee.
0: Yeah, I'm really liking it. It is exactly what everyone has been saying, which is a magical Asian-inspired Godfather mm-hmm. um, about you know warring crime families who run a city and uh, uh, the jade trade, and there's magic and lots of interesting like class stuff going on. Um, it's long, and I'm not super far into it, but uh, everything that I have read so far has been great it was the thing that i was reading when i was like i took my foster daughter to the salon and we ended up being there for four hours and that's like (laughs) what got me through was having something to read because four hours in a salon chair is a no that's a long time
1: what about you I, well, I finally finished Jade City. It did take me a while. Was, like, it's a, there's it's, a lot happening. It's not short. Um, and I'm a fast reader, but man, it took me a minute to, to finish that. I also read, because of a question we got on SFF, yeah, um, I read this book, A Promise of Fire by Amanda Boucher, which is like a, it's it's a fantasy romance, like a high fantasy romance. And I kept trying to rem- figure out what it was reminding me of, and I finally figured out that it's kind of like if the King of Atolia series by Megan Whale and Turner, like, was a romance. Huh. It's a little bit like that. Like, it's in a Greek-inspired fantasy world, like Cerberus and Hades and Poseidon are characters. And there's this woman, a young woman named Kat, who's, like, on the run because she has special magic powers and everybody wants to use them. And she, like, spent her childhood being abused and, like, locked up and used for her powers. And she's finally escaped and is, like, on the DL. But then this warlord, like basically abducts her and is like you're gonna help me secure my kingdom but he's actually like not a bad guy but he (laughs) abducted her but she's like so she's angry but she can also see like what he's doing might be good and then maybe there's like a prophetic thing from Poseidon involved and like of course then it's one of those like enemies to lovers like they hate each other and then they love each other kind of thing um oh sirens um So anyway, yeah. So it's it's the first in a series, and it ended on a real cliffhanger. I was not expecting it to end on that cliffhangery of a of a spot, but um, it was fun. It was the cat's like speaks very modernly for a book that's like set in like Hmm. medieval Greece. So that took a little getting used to, but otherwise, I enjoyed it. So anyway, if you're in the mood for like Greek gods plus romance stuff this is you should add it to your list um Okay, so let's see. How does the show work? The show works because you send us questions and we answer them. You can send us questions about anything from what should your book group read next to what should you get for your best friend for the holidays to uh, this book left a hole in your heart and you need to know what else is out there like it. Um, We are happy to take them. You can send them to getbooked at bookriot.com. You can put them in the form that's at the bottom of the show notes on the site. If you have a time-sensitive question and you need the answer by a specific date, please put that either in the subject line of the email or in the first line of the form, um, so that we can try to get to it on time. If we think we're not going to get to it, or if it's a question we've been asked a bunch of times already, we might email you a response, so keep an eye out for that. And yes, okay. So I'm gonna read our first question and then tell you about our first sponsor, and away we will go. So the first question comes from another Jen. Hi, other Jen. Uh, who says I'm going on a road trip with my 22 year old daughter from North Carolina back home to Texas in late November, looking for an audiobook recommendation to listen to on the drive. Something possibly set in the South with a mystery or supernatural bent. We like smart characters and a plot that is twisty. Uh, okay, so before we give you those recommendations. Recommendations. I want to tell you about Libby, who is uh, one of our sponsors for today. And Libby is an app for your device—iPhone, um, Android, whatever, tablet, whatever—and um, you can access your library's ebooks, and audiobooks with like one tap. So all you have to do is put the de- the app on your phone and then you set up with your library card and you can instantly get like any number of ebooks and audiobooks. I could not do this show without the yeah. app like I really could not. Every week I'm like, "All right, Libby, like let's find me some <laughs> some ebooks that I can borrow." Um you can also place holds if the thing isn't available immediately and it'll like put you in the queue and everything. Basically, it's your connection to the library but digital. So you should definitely check that out. You can go to meet.libby App.com for more information. And yeah, thank you so much for sponsoring the show. Okay, Amanda, what do you have for Southern Mystery slash Supernatural slash Smart slash Twisty? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, I went with Crooked Letter, Crooked Letter by Tom Franklin, which takes place in, is a murder mystery that takes place in Mississippi, as you could probably guess from the title. Um, And this starts off in the 70s, and it's about two friends named Larry and Silas who were like boyhood, you know, buddies. They grow up near each other. Larry is um, white and is the son of white parents, like lower middle class white parents growing up in kind of the backwoods of Mississippi. And Silas lives kind of down the street and is the son of a poor single black mother. And they grow up together um, through you know, young childhood up into high school. And then in high school, Larry takes a girl on a, dra- a date to a drive-in and then she disappears that night. So she's never found a body's never found nothing like that. And Larry maintains that he did not have anything to do with her disappearance, but he, the town suspects him as having hurt this girl. Um, and the incident kind of really destroys the town. And so Silas runs, their friendship is over. Silas leaves town, runs off um, Larry stays, and like then you jump forward twenty years, and he's still in that town, still living in the same house. His parents are dead. He's a mechanic, um, and never like is just sort of ostracized. It's very. Um, it reminded me a lot, or rather. What's that What's that Netflix series? The, the Making of a Murderer? Like how that town sort of ostracized mm. that guy. It's that kind of thing because they suspect him of something that's never like legally proven. Um, so he's just sort of existing. And then Silas comes back to town for his own reasons. He returns as a the constable. They don't ever really cross paths. Like they're, they're not like rekindling their friendship here. Uh, but then another girl turns up, disa- or another girl disappears. And of course all eyes point to Larry. And Silas has to kind of dig into their past to figure out what actually happened the first time around. So it's very mis- it's very mysterious, obviously, because there are two disappearances here that you're trying to solve. Um, but there's all there's so much happening in this book about, like, small-town life and racial um, issues and, like, class struggles and all this kind of stuff. Like, everything that you could think of that a book could, like, wrangle with that takes place in the middle of nowhere in Mississippi, this book is wrangling with it. Um, and it's such a page-turner. Like, you just... What? Cause you, you like you like Larry, but also maybe he's a murderer. Like you don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things where like he seems like maybe he's he's not, but you're never really led to believe one way or the other until you find out what actually happened. So that's crooked letter, crooked letter by Tom Franklin.
1: I picked The Cutting Season by Attica Locke for you. Um, it is also a murder mystery. We love uh, some <laughs> murder mysteries up in this joint. Um, and it takes place on uh, the grounds of a, planta- a historic plantation house in Louisiana. Um, the manager, Karen, is black um, and she has managed the place for like four years. And every morning like she kind of walks around and makes sure everything's set up. And they, it's like, you know, they do like weddings and tours and stuff and like reenactments it's a very weird this is a real thing that happens but I find it super awkward um anyway she so she's she's doing her rounds and um they find a dead body And it it is actually a migrant worker, um, a young woman who is a migrant worker, because in the grounds next to the plantation, they're doing like some construction and there's a ton of or like I can't remember if it's constructing or farming. It's been a minute since I read. Anyway, there's a ton of migrant workers um, next uh, in like the grounds next door. And it's one of them. And so. Immediately, all of the employees of the plantation house come under suspicion. Um, the way the body is like revealed and placed and the trail of clues leads them to believe that it happened by somebody who knew the grounds well. And in the meantime... Karen's young daughter sort of gets herself in the middle of this whole thing. And Karen, in the meantime, is trying to work out, like, her own life. Like, this is not where she saw herself, like, being a single mom running a plantation house. Like, this is not what she was planning on. So you kind of are learning, like, how she got there. Like, what has brought her to this spot in her life. Like, what does she think she wants? Um, And then on top of it, there is a body and an investigation. And, like, things are not... Going well. (laughs) Um, You said you wanted smart and twisty, and that's very much the feeling I got from this. Um, Karen is like a little... Mm-hmm. like gruff like she's not super warm but I really found her an interesting character to follow and, um, and and the plot is very twisty you're just constantly like wait what like now we're going this way okay now we're going this way okay what um, so I really I think it, and I've heard good things about the audio so I think this would be a fun one so that's The Cutting Season by Attica Locke who also was on our recommended podcast you should go listen to her she was <laughs> great so good True, true. Okay, question two is from Catherine, who says, I'm a
0: librarian at a small library outside Philadelphia with a huge book club in a bag collection. It comes with books, audiobooks, discussion materials, the whole works. I've just recently taken over the collection, and I realized that it is tragically white. I'm doing what I can to remedy that, but I was hoping for some suggestions for diverse, newer, fairly accessible book club lit or nonfiction for the collection. We've got The Underground Railroad, The Mothers, Little Fires Everywhere, Behold the Dreamers, and Between the World and Me, to name a few. Thanks so much. Okay. I went with Shelter by Jung Yun, which is new. Err, yeah, came out in uh, 2016, so new enough. <laughs> um, and man, rough read. Okay, so this is a book about a man. He's a young father. He's married. He's, if I remember correctly, he's a professor. Um, he's married. He's got small kid, a small kid, and he lives in a house he can't afford. And him and his wife have run up a bunch of credit card debt through like nothing except being bad at life choices. Um, and so they're really anxious about their future and what they're going to do, trying to decide whether or not they should sell their house, which they're upside down on in the mortgage. Um, and then a few miles away, his parents live in a much more exclusive part of town and they're super wealthy. Um, and they're also kind of horrible to each other. Like they were not kind to him growing up and um, he has a really strained relationship with both his mother and his father. And then um, one morning their his parents have a home invasion and are both hurt, and so is their maid. Um, it, it's like a really violent home invasion, and so his parents have to move in with him and his family while he's in the middle of like trying to figure out how to be a husband and a father and provide for his family, and then his parents, who he does not get along with and has not gotten along with for decades, are in the house now, and it's just like this roiling, tense, situation that you know is just going to explode which it of course eventually does um, but there's so much happening here that I think a book club could really pick apart like how do you how, how can you possibly know how to be a good spouse or a good partner or a good parent if you've never seen that model for you in your own family and if your own family was never loving or affectionate or kind to you like how do you even begin to know how to do that to your own kids even if you really, really want to, um, so none of the characters in this book are likable. Like everybody's very human and self-centered. Everybody makes really terrible decisions, um, as we all do. But there's, it's really r- relatable, and there's a lot here that I think a book club could talk about, whether or not you have discussion questions provided. So, yeah. So, but it is lots of trigger warnings. Like there's a lot of, like, like I said, there's violence, um, and just general like emotional abuse, verbal abuse. It's a tough read, but it's worth it. So that's Shelter by Jung Yu.
1: Okay, I, you will, if you're a longtime listener of the show, you will not be surprised by my pick. It is The Wangs versus the World by Jade Chang. I love this book so much for book clubs. Um, and it is now in paperback as well. I can't remember if libraries prefer paperback or not for those things. But anyway, it is very accessible. Um, and it is a road trip novel with a Chinese American family who have like. So the the father came to America and built a very successful cosmetics empire um, and, like, got married and had three kids and then his wife died and now he's a step – he he got remarried. And then in the 2008 economic crash, like, they lose everything. He made some bad business calls and invested money where he shouldn't have and now they have no money. Um, And so he – decides that what he's going to do is round up all his kids and his family and go back to China to reclaim his family's uh, like ancestral lands. So his kids are, like, super not on board with this plan. Um, Andrew is in college, and he wants to be a stand-up comedian. Grace is, like, a style blogger on Instagram and is going to a private high school. Um, None of them really get along with Barbara, their stepmother, but he's, like, got them all in a car, and they're all headed to New York um, upstate where the oldest daughter, Saina, has her own house. Um, And she, like, used to be big in the art world and is now just trying to figure out, like, what she's doing with her life. So, um... So hijinks ensue like there's a lot of stuff like like there's a car accident and there's a like wacky families that they meet and like they have all kinds of weird road trip adventures um, but there's also a lot of emotional depth going on here like there is this like family tension and there's the immigrant tension and um there's this financial tension like there's so many interesting angles to come at this book from and the book is told in multiple narratives so you get to see everything from a different like you get chapter by chapter different points of view on what's going on so there's a lot of facets to like pick apart and get into and like I definitely have argued over who my favorite character was with other people and I feel like that gets book group going for like half an hour yeah. so so yeah and it, it's Jay Chang is super funny so like at the same time that it's like very like it's a very like it, it's got a lot of emotional health, but depth but it's also a very um, like a bit of a social satire it's just great so that's the wang Versus the world by Jade Chang. Okay, next question is from Lauren who says. Uh, I just finished The Storied Life of A.J. Fickrey, and it's left me craving more books with meaningful adult-child relationships where at least one party is choosing to be in the other's life, adoption, mentorship, and similar. What I specifically loved about A.J. and Maya was how genuinely they liked each other as people. I'd love to read more in that vein if you have any recommendations. I'm going to stop talking. Amanda, what mm-hmm. you got?
0: Okay, I took this one to the contributor because I honestly couldn't think of anything other than The Storied Life of A.J. Fickery. Uh, <laughs> like, What? Um, so, Elizabeth, our contributor, recommended My Grandmother Asked Me to Tell You She's Sorry, which is by um, Frederick Bachman, who also wrote The Man Called Uva? Yeah. Um, so if, you have heard of that, if you've heard that name before, that's probably from whence it cometh. Um, but this is the book about, a book about a, a seven-year-old girl named Elsa who is best friends with her grandmother. And her grandmother is very eccentric and odd and is 77 and likes to do things like shoot paintball guns at missionaries who come to her door, and they're like best buddies. Um, and then um, her grandmother dies and leaves behind a collection of letters that she's written to people that she wronged over her life And Elsa goes on this, like, great adventure to deliver them and to, like, read her grandmother's letters. Um, And so she gets, uh, like, a a lot of interactions with, you know, stray dogs and apartment buildings that are full of drunks for reasons. And it's like, you know, like, what? And she learns through this series of adventures, learns a lot about... You know, what kind of person her grandmother actually was, um, and about the process of growing up and becoming an adult. So it sounds very nice and heartwarming. I haven't read anything by Frederick Bachman, despite how like famous a man called Uva was, and now it's gonna be a movie, right? With Tom mm-hmm. Tom Hanks. Um I mean it already is a movie, but now they're remaking it for Americans because we apparently require that. <laughs> I don't I don't understand. Whatever. Um anyway, so yeah, it sounds very nice and heartwarming and very adult child um mentory. Relationship, even though the the adult passes away in, near the very beginning of the book. So that's my grandmother asked me to tell you she's sorry by Frederick Bachman.
1: All right, I picked a book called Ginny Moon by Benjamin Ledwig that came out earlier this year that I really loved. Um, I normally would skip over books like this. It is narrated by an autistic teenager, and that can be really hard to do well. But I thought that um, it was, in fact, done well in this case. And um, so, like, just for context, I have a little bit of experience working with autistic kids. And then the author based this on his own experience as a foster parent of an autistic child. So there's there's some receipts for you. Um, so the so main character, as you might guess by the title, is named Ginny. She is 14, she is autistic, and she has been in foster care for a really long time. Um, this is her fourth, quote-unquote, forever family. It's, like, so heartbreaking. She's like, well, they tell me to call them forever families, even though they're not forever. Um, but so she's, she's placed with her fourth family, and um, it seems like this one is actually going to stick. And she has a really beautiful relationship with the husband. Um, in particular, that's what reminded me um, when you asked this question. Uh, like, he really seems to, like, get her and they really kind of delight in each other's presence in a beautiful way um, and the wife is like uh, super on board also and then she gets pregnant and everything changes a little bit because Ginny's response to the baby is that she wants to be very involved but because they still are learning about each other it makes the mom uncomfortable um, and the reason that Ginny wants to be so involved is related to both why she's in foster care in the first place and this big secret that she has that she has been completely unable to communicate to anybody in her life effectively. Um, So a lot of the book is her, is you like trying to figure out like, what is this thing that's driving her? And then her, because it's told from her perspective, her struggling to figure out how to communicate that drive to the people around her in a way that will make sense to them. Because they're just, it's just not happening. Um, there's some tough stuff in here. The Ginny is a victim of abuse. um, so there is that, uh, and you see some of that on the page. Um, but it I thought it was just really gripping. The emotional weight was there. Um, and the story unfolds in a really satisfying way. and I, I, everybody is complex. like nobody is a cookie cutter, and I really appreciated like all of that. So I think this might give you some of those same feelings. So that's Ginny Moon by Benjamin Ludwig
0: okay question four is from olivia who says i'm currently reading doomsday book by connie willis and it has made me realize how much i love books about the middle ages or medieval times i've also read the inquisitor's tale and a connecticut yankee in king arthur's court what other recommendations do you have that take place in that time or are similar to those books okay i went with a bed of spices by barbara samuel which is a historical romance that takes place uh, during the 14th century and um, but unlike a lot of books that takes place during that time period, it's not in England. It's in Germany. So the main characters are uh, Frederica, who is the daughter of a nobleman in Germany during this time period. And she has, you know, a lot of rich people problems during this time. Um, stuff like, you know, she, she's about to be married off to like a man she doesn't love, but who her, her twin sister does love, which makes things very awkward, you know, around the castle as it does um, she really does not is like not into marrying this guy and so she spends a lot of her time outside the castle in the herbalist cottage who she's befriended um, just like getting away from these people who were driving her nuts the hero is uh, named Solomon he is the son of a merchant and he really wants to become a physician so they run into each other at the herbalist cottage because he comes there to study they meet they fall in love and you know, it's uh, it's both a wrong side of the tracks thing, but more importantly, Solomon is Jewish, so it's literally illegal, and they could both be beheaded. So it's not just a case of like their parents don't approve, or like you know they sent each other letters and that didn't neither received, and you know bad communication. It's like actually, if we get caught you will be murdered in the square in front of everyone because this was Germany in the 13th century or the 14th century. Um, and all of this is happening against the backdrop, the backdrop of uh, like actual Jewish program, the plague. Like, so like, the plague is happening in Germany during this time and the society is blaming Jews for this happening. Like somehow they, and this is historically accurate, like somehow they made the plague out to be the fault of the Jewish population. So they started sending the Jewish population up to pogroms. Um, And so that's happening in his family. Like all of this political stuff is going on and everybody's getting sick and there's all this, there's this, you know, like she has to avoid getting married and they're meeting in the woods and it's just like heart thumping. Who's going to make it? Who's not going to make it? You know, like so much going on. Um, And their, but their love for each other is also like, It's one of my favorite romances. Like, it's just so. um, I don't want to say it's not really. It's not necessarily sweet. Like, this is not a sweet romance novel. (laughs) It's like a cozy sort of feeling. But they value each other and each other's minds and like characteristics so much. It isn't a thing where like they met. It's not insta love, even though their um, meetings by necessity are are infrequent and short Uh, they still manage to like find things that they truly value about each other and then uh you know like they get whatever i'm not going to spoil it but it's there's a lot there's a lot happening and so for people who are interested in medieval history maybe sides of medieval history that you don't get to hear a lot about i think this is a really good pick for that because it's from germany and it's told from a jewish character's perspective so that's a bed of spices by barbara samuel
1: But We have an accidental theme. Um, I I didn't realize that I had not heard of your book before. I also have a book that's kind of about Jewish populations in medieval times. All right. (laughs) Um, It's called Mistress of the Art of Death. It's the first in a series by Ariana Franklin. Um, Content warning for violence against children. Um, this is like a forensic mystery set in medieval times, which is so unique, like not a thing you get very often. Um, and what's happening is that in medieval Cambridge in England, uh, four children have their children are being murdered in really grisly ways um, and the crimes are being blamed on the town's Jewish community because of course like everybody knows <laughs> that you know whatever blah 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 um, awful like old superstitions so so the 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 Jewish population have been taken into the like castle fortress of Cambridge and are being protected by the crown because Henry II is like very reliant on the taxes that he gets from Jewish merchants so they are like well somebody needs to like find out what is actually happening. So, he calls on like his cousin, the King of Sicily, who has like experts, medical experts and sends for a quote unquote master of the art of death, which is kind of like the medieval version of a forensic like scientist. And the person that they send is actually a woman and she's traveling with Simon who is sort of like a covert operative and also is Jewish and then um, Mansour who is a Moor who is her sort of bodyguard Um, and they are, so like, it sounds like the setup to like a joke, like a woman, like a black man and a Jewish person walk into like medieval England. Like you're like, okay, like these are all oppressed populations. Um, How are they gonna get anything done? Um, So part of the book is like, the machinations and, like, manipulations they have to go through just to, like, get the information they need and the resources. And then the other part of the book, of course, is solving, like, who is actually creating, like, who is... who is murdering these children um and i read it like way back in the day uh like a long time ago i think it came out yeah in 2007 and i read it around then but i I reread a couple chapters to refresh my memory and it was it was as intriguing as i remembered it to be um and i think she does the representation of of those uh, oppressed populations pretty well so that is the mistress of the art of death by ariana franklin Okay, before we move
0: on, we're going to talk about our second sponsor, which is us. I love it when it's us. Yay! (laughs) Um, So... Our, specifically, this is our bookstore giveaway. This is the last week that you can enter it. When this show comes out in two days, it'll be the 23rd, so you'll have three more days. So our bookstore giveaway is we are giving away $500 to the bookstore of your choice, to one person, and it ends on the 26th, which is Sunday, um, so you still have a couple of days to enter, and it is open internationally, so no matter where you are, you will pick a bookstore, we will figure out the currency exchange if you win, um, and we will send you some dollar bills to spend on uh, whatever books you want. And if you do win, please send us pictures of whatever it is that you buy because I really want to see a giant <laughs> stack. And I can't enter because I designed it, the giveaway, <laughs> and I'm staff. Staff contributors are not allowed to enter our giveaways, obviously. So please go enter. So go to uh, bookright.com slash bookstore giveaway and, yeah, enter to win $500 to the bookstore of your choice.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, let's see. Our next question is from Emily, who says, I suffer from a chronic pain condition and would like to find books that have conditions similar to mine or other disabilities. Memoirs or fiction would be great. I've read both of Jenny Lawson's books and cried when I found out that she had arthritis because I do not get to read about people with similar experiences much. Know me before you, please. Uh, Okay, so I picked for you a collection that I've had on my shelf for a while and have recently been delving into. It is called The Right Way to be Crippled the naked, uh, subtitled The Fiction of Disability. It's an anthology edited by Annabelle Hayes, uh, Sheila Black, and Michael Northen, and they worked on a poetry collection called Beauty is a Verb, which was also all, um, like, it was uh, poetry by disabled writers. So this is this is short works. Um, I think most of them are fiction, although some of them felt, some of, one the, like, the opening one felt very autobiographical, so it, it, it was occasionally hard for me to tell if it was an essay or a short story. Um, but it is all, like, all of the contributors have a different relationship to disability. Um, and it is really powerful, first of all. And also very, like, this is not, these are not safe stories. These are not easy stories. Like, a lot of them I was, like, very, like, wow, this is, this is intense. (laughs) Um, like, there's one about, um, sex addiction, and there's another one that has, like, a lot of drug use. And, um... But they're really – they are. They're really powerful. They're beautifully written. Um, I'm only about halfway through, so I haven't finished yet. Um, but And there's a full range here. Like, the opening uh, piece is um, by a quadriplegic writer. Um, and then there is uh, one with, like, a facial disfiguration. Um, there's another one that's about bipolar – like, the characters have bipolar disorder. And, and the stories aren't really – they're not all about the disability. Like some of them are, I'm a person who has this problem and also like this is a disability that I have. Or um, they're from a perspective of somebody like interacting with that person. So it, it it's not necessarily... The stories aren't necessarily just like about being disabled, which is obviously like you want to see people doing things and living their lives um, in conjunction with that. So I feel like it's a really interesting anthology like stylistically. Um, There's a a big range of uh, styles, which I really appreciate in an anthology. And yeah, I think you might find some new writers to love in here. So that's The Right Way to be Crippled and Naked, uh, edited by Annabelle Hayes, Sheila Black, and Michael Northen. Oh, and Nisi Shawl, who we love has a story in here also for the record um, there's there's a lot of great contributors in here so. Mm-hmm.
0: Okie dokie. I went with another romance, because this is the thing I'm doing <laughs> today. Um, I picked The Escape by Mary Balog, which is the third book in the Survivor's Club series, but as is my want, I did not read these books in order, because <laughs> I don't read romance series in order. I don't know why, um, but it's not necessary. So I will say that you do not have to have read the other books in the series in order to enjoy this one. However, The Survivor's Club is a series of books all about... Um, I think it's six men and one woman um, who are injured or wounded in some way in the Napoleonic Wars. So every character has some kind of disability in this series. Um, I think one is blind. One of, one of the characters has PTSD. Um, and then in this one, the escape, Benedict Harper is the hero, and he is injured during the war when a, a horse falls on his legs. And so he has lost most of the use of his legs. He could walk, but only with the assistance of two canes. He's in chronic, constant pain. And it shapes, really, everything about his life and about how he interacts with the other characters, including the heroine, Samantha. Um, So Samantha is a widow. Her husband has just died. She was married for seven years. And for six of those years, she was nursing her husband, um, who I think was also injured, was wounded during the wars. And he has died. He was not a kind man to her. So she's, you know, sad that he's dead because he was her husband, but is also kind of like, when can I get over this morning so that I can move on? Um, But her in-laws are very oppressive. She lives with her sister-in-law who doesn't let her really leave the house or interact with anyone. Um, Her father-in-law threatens to have her basically like hold up in the house forever if she doesn't behave properly within the bounds of what they, they think propriety is, which even during this, you know, Regency era is still way more oppressive than like what society expects and so she discovers that she's inherited a plot of land and like a little cottage from a distant relative and so she has decided that that's like her way out she's going to go live in this house that she's inherited figure out a way to make some money and like be free and be on her own and uh ben who is recovering is her neighbor uh in the house she lives in where her husband dies and so they meet and become friends, and then maybe a little bit more than friends, and then he decides he will escort her on her journey to this house so that nothing happens to her. Uh, and then in the time that they are you know, on the road alone, gee, I wonder what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you could fill in the blanks here. But um, his disability really does, like, They're in a carriage for hours at a time, and that's really hard for him. Even the the sex scenes, when they are consummating the relationship, there are, like, ways and positions he can't accomplish and, like, ways in which he has to move his body that influences even that portion of the book. So everything um, that he does or says basically in the book is, is somehow shaped by this uh, injury that he's dealing with um, and that he knows is permanent like this is not a thing that you know her love is going to heal him like that's not going to happen here he's on these canes for the rest of his life so um, the whole series is great but this one is probably my favorite so that's The Escape by Mary Ballack
1: Hey, before we go on to the next question, can I do a quick shout out? I just remembered. um, There's this book called Pain Woman Takes Your Keys essays. uh, It's it's an essay collection um, by Sonia Huber. And I haven't read it yet, but I've been hearing great things. And it is specifically like literary and experimental essays about living with chronic pain. Um, So I like I did not remember early enough, (laughs) (laughs) um, but I remembered just now. And you might want to look that up and check it out. Okay, I'm done now. (laughs)
0: Okay, um, question six is from Andrea who says... I've always loved sci-fi and in the last few months I have really gotten into short story collections. I recently read Stories of Your Life by Ted Chiang. This is probably going to be my favorite book of the year. Bloodchild by Octavia Butler and Three Moments of an Explosion by China Mieville. I've also loved The Illustrated Man by Ray Bradbury. I'm looking for some more interesting and well-written sci-fi short story collections. I enjoy hard sci-fi and first contact stories, dark, weird, speculative, and bizarre also great descriptors and I don't really like fantasy. I never understood why sci-fi and fantasy are clumped together. (laughs) All right, all right, all right, I see you. Um, Okay, I'll just keep going. I picked Overclocked by Cory Doctorow, which is a collection of short stories, all of which I think I'm going to, I'm pretty sure you can read them all separately on his website, (laughs) but you can also go buy them, you know, or get them from your library. Um, So if, if you're unfamiliar with Cory Doctorow, he writes a lot of science fiction about the like vagrancies of technology in our lives and... Envisioning what are the future of you know humanity, both humanity at large and our daily uh, you know day to day lives will look like if we continue down these paths that we've set for ourselves uh, with uh, technology and the internet and all those kind of things. So almost so all of the stories in this collection take that on in some way, um, and they're all <laughs> odd. Like for one of the stories I remember. It's called it's called Print Crime, and in this future. Copyright laws have become so stringent that like printing at all is a serious crime, which sounds ridiculous now, but you could go to prison for it in this future that he's envisioning. Which is, I mean, like if you violate copyright now, you could be sued and lose tens of thousands of dollars. So it's not actually like that far fetched. Um, but he takes that to you know he takes this um, all of the stories are like taking the current state of a, a use of technology in our society to its end if we continue down this path. And so, like, there's a story about, um, like when system administrators who have, the, you know, these really thankless IT jobs right now who are in charge of like making sure that you can get into your email and all this kind of stuff. Um, but in this future they like are the defenders of the good and the right. Um, and, um, there's one about like taking Isaac Asimov's laws of robotics and kind of turning them on their head and all of these kinds of things. So he's really thinking very deeply about uh, the different ways that various specific aspects of tech and tech law, um, can uh, unfold if we continue treating these technologies the way that we do. And they're all super weird. There's one with, like, there's a zombie story. There's one with, like, invisible ants. They're just bizarre. So that's Overclocked, Stories of the Future Present by Cory Doctorow.
1: Your question reminded me of a collection I read earlier this year called Galactic Empires, um, edited by Neil Clark, that is... 100% sci-fi. It it doesn't have any fantasy, which a lot of collections are a mix, which I don't mind. And also, like, for the record, I'm so curious what you thought about Three Moments of Explosion because there were fantasy stories in there too. Um, But anyway, okay, that's, like, side note. Um, So Galactic Empires is all organized around, as you might guess, like, it's space opera, basically. Um, So the editor asked, uh, like, sci-fi writers to contribute a piece that is about, like something galactic <laughs> and like something to do with an empire. Um, so it's got stories from Anne Leckie, who is amazing. And if you haven't already read her, you should read her. Um, there's a story in here from Elliot de Badard, who I love that is just like fantastic. It's a little bit about uh, artificial intelligence and also about like a crazy empire system. There's a story by Yunha Lee in here that is just like oh it like ripped my heart out it's really really good Um, and also has like weird like spaceship technology like origami spaceship technology and like Calendar stuff. Like if you're familiar with um, Nine Fox Gambit. uh, It's like it's set in that sort of same universe. Um, There are other. There's a ton of other stories. Naomi Novik contributed to this. Um, Tobias Buckle. Like Neil Asher. Like it's a real solid uh, contributor list. And um, it's just. Yeah. It's really. It, it 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 delivers on what it promises you, which is stories in space about galactic empires. Like that is exactly what it is. And if you are feeling like you just want to like get out of this galaxy, like this is this is the collection to take you. So that's Galactic Empires uh, edited by Neil Clark. Last question is from Jennifer. There's so many of us out there Uh, who says, I teach high school English and um, listen to the podcast on my way to work. I work with several young people who are hunters and want to read about hunting slash survival slash outdoorsy stuff. We have Paulson's hatchet and the sequels and psychology one Oh one duck dynasty, which have been popular among this group. And one student is reading where the red fern grows. Another of these readers started American sniper, but never finished it. And they've all read hunger games I'm ordering some John Krakauer, but I'm looking for more recommendations that might strike a chord with this group of readers. Fiction or nonfiction, especially things that are a little more grown up. YA is awesome, but I worry they're not challenged by some of the middle grade texts we have available. Um, I'm just going to keep going. So... I picked The Knife of Never Letting Go by Patrick Ness, which is the first in the Chaos Walking series. And they're, the movies are coming soon or are, are already, maybe? I don't know. Anyway, they're getting made into movies. Um, and the reason I picked this one is because it reminded me of The Hunger Games. But it's definitely sort of like that. Like, it's it's got a kid narrator, but there's some very, like, intense non-kid stuff going on. Um, So it takes place in a town called Prentice Town, which is on a planet that's not Earth. And everyone there can hear everybody else's thoughts just, like, all the time. Like, everybody there is basically telepathic all the time. Super overwhelming, um, really intense... And uh, Todd, who's the main character, who's, like, a month away from the birthday that will, you know, make him a man um, in their society. Um, And his dog, who also you can, like, hear the dog's thoughts. Like, you can hear everything's thoughts. Like, anything that has a brain, like, you can hear its thoughts. Um, They find an area in the woods outside of town where there's, like, just silence. And they, like, it, like, this concept is just so foreign to him. He's like, I don't understand, like, what is happening. Um, and it turns out that there is something, there's this terrible secret that like Todd didn't know about, um, but every all of the grown-ups in the world know. And uh, so basically Todd and Manchi take off on like this journey into the rest of their world um, and like having previously lived this very insulated sort of oblivious life. And I don't want to say what the thing is because it's a real good reveal. Um, But I will say like there is like, so he spends a lot of time on the road. So there's that like aspect of the survival and he doesn't have supplies and he's kind of on the run and hiding. So there's um, he definitely has to like make do and figure out how he's going to live. And, um, and there are some big questions raised in this book about you know privacy and the way we interact with other humans and it's 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 there's a lot going on <laughs> um, and there's three books in this series and they're all pretty long, so, if you are, like, having, you know, you, you need them to, like, keep some, keep, give them something that will keep them busy for a while, um, I think this is definitely a good page, uh, good uh, pick for it. They're, like, coming up on 500 pages. Um, and then, plus the movie, so you can do that whole, like, go see the movie, talk about how it's different from the book thing, which is always fun. So, that is The Knife of Never Letting Go, the first book in the Chaos Walking series by Patrick Ness.
0: Okay, I uh, took this one also to the contributors, and because I couldn't think of anything, <laughs> and I got I got stuck. I think on Duck Dynasty and was like <laughs> I, I don't know anything that's comparable to the Duck Dynasty. Um, but so our contributor Danica Ellis recommended The Land by Mildred Taylor, um, <clears throat> which is a historical fiction YA novel about the son of a landowner uh, and a former slave. His name is Paul, and his he's got kind of an odd situation wherein his father, who is white and you know a slave owner. Um, has acknowledged him as his son and is raising him very openly Which and this takes place in Georgia so it's just very like uh, um, but he's not treated equally he's not allowed to eat dinner at the table with the family he's not allowed to talk back to his brothers like his brothers who are his brothers from his white father and his white wife are um like, they can sort of treat him however they want to. He's not allowed to respond. Like, there's a lot of obvious discrimination and um, and poor treatment that's happening here. Um, and he can't, like, if he leaves his father's land, then, you know, he is treated as how a black person would be treated in post-Civil War Georgia, um, which is, of course, not well. And then within his own family, you know, even though he has been acknowledged by his father, he's, he's treated mostly in a really horrible, like, degrading um, kind of fashion. And so he decides that what he's going to do is go off on his own and find his own bit of land that is going to be just as good as his father's and make it on his own and, you know, um, kind of prove to himself and his family and everyone else that he doesn't need uh, his white father or his you know support that he doesn't it's not worth it to stick around that house and be treated that way when he could go off and do his own thing so you know this is obviously a book about dealing with much larger issues than than, than you know surviving with a bow and arrow but it is a lot about that like he literally leaves his family and goes off into the wilderness and then has to survive and like find land and deal with horrible people that he encounters along the way and. um and farm and survive and hunt and like do that whole thing in a rural setting before the industrial revolution so it's not like he can flip on a light switch he like is in the middle of nowhere surviving and he's got his friend with him so he's not like alone but um it is very much about like here's a hatchet and some matches good luck you know um, <laughs> so i think that uh the survival aspect and that kind of like back to the land tilling, plowing, cutting down trees sort of thing will appeal to the sort of thing that your kids are looking for. So that's The Land by Mildred Taylor.
1: And that's our show. Woohoo. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, please do leave us a rating and or review on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people to find the show and we love to hear your feedback. Um, thank you so much to our sponsors today for helping make the show happen. You can find me on social media. I am on Tumblr these days. It's jenirl.tumblr.com and that's Jen with two Ns.
0: I'm mostly on Instagram and it's, I am Amanda Nelson and I apologize for how many pictures of my dogs.
1: <laughs> Never apologize for dog <laughs> pictures, This is Amanda. like what you're going to get. Is dogs, book, and dogs. dogs and food. Dogs and food. Yep, that's it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And we'll talk to you next time.